0: Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. I'm your host, Hugh Crawford, one-third of the Kickers of Elves. Today we're going to talk about Past Prologue, uh, an episode that we released uh, on February 22nd, 2016, which means we most likely recorded this in December of 2015 uh this was a a pretty good uh, episode i think uh if you listen to it the format is starting to coalesce we're getting less discussion on uh you know macro star trek issues and starting to unpack the the episode more um anyway i hope you enjoy this episode uh, stick around for the end of this episode to hear some additional commentary by me and my thoughts and opinions on this episode. Enjoy!
1: Tall and Tea. Gold pressed Latinum. Oh yeah. Billetrium Bombs. Structural Integrity Fields. Oh yeah. Homoerotic by crap. Oh, yeah.
2: It's time for the Rules of Acquisition. Hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be talking about the greatest television show ever made before the year 2000, perhaps. Uh, Star Trek, perhaps. <laughs> we'll say yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The precursor to the golden age of television, maybe. <laughs> with me, as always, is, uh, I'm Wade Bowen, and with me is James Nolan. Hello, guys. And Hugh Crawford. Hey, how we doing? Oh, uh, I'm doing good. Hope y'all are doing good. You're doing good?
3: Yeah. I'm doing very
2: good. Okay. Well, all right. Tonight, this is our third episode. We're going to be talking about the third episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine as seen on Netflix. The second episode as aired originally, correct? That is correct. All right. And this is a past prologue. Yes. A
1: Tempest. Shakespeare's Tempest reference, I believe.
2: Okay, yeah, I had a question about, like, what the title meant. But before we get into that, uh, yeah, maybe we just want to start with a short description.
3: Yes, according to IMDb, past prologue first aired on January 10th, 1993. And the description is, Tana Los, a former Bajoran terrorist during the occupation, asked Cisco for asylum on DS9. Meanwhile, the station's last Cardassian inhabitant, Garrick, possibly a former spy for the Cardassian government, proves an interesting mystery to dr Bashir and uh yeah that that pretty much sums it up that 's our a and b storyline, and eventually they kind of intertwine the episode starts off with uh with the terrorists thing, but the most notable thing is the incredible sexual tension between Dr. Bashir and Gary. Yeah. Am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. I was actually the first thing I, I wrote was it starts with a gay pickup.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: I mean, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm so like, uh, not aware of that. I should have you paid more attention. You didn't. How about that? Hey man, I'm like naive. I'm the naive guy that gay guys love the, to- hit on in the bar that doesn't realize it again. But well, you were Bashir. You're in this, Bashir. In this, you were Bashir. Oh, I've been yeah. Dr. Bashir before. But, well, I've been in gay bars, but I'm never... <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: Yeah, so Garrick, that's, that's what makes... Garrick is, is uh, very arch and full of <laughs> innuendo, and he's pretty much one of the best things about Deep Space Nine throughout the whole series, he, as far as I'm concerned. He is what my do you guys favorite think?
1: thing, and I think I, he's my favorite thing I think by far Andrew Robinson I believe is the actor's name I love that guy And things uh, He's most famous like, I think for being A dirty Harry He's the villain in that Oh wow But um, he's uh, If you're a fan Of Hellraiser <laughs> He's the main character In the first Hellraiser movie And he's That's great him? that too.
2: I just watched that Like a couple of weeks ago Yeah
1: He's the It's he's the, not um, a good movie <laughs> No it's not <laughs> But he's fine in it. He's the, the beta male that his brother is, starts the whole plot.
2: He's, he's the zombie? Or he's or he's the husband? Oh, he's the husband that the cuckold, basically.
3: Yes, the cuckold. Yes. Okay, so in this episode past prologue, we've got a this Tana Los character is a former and turns out current Bajoran terrorist that asks for asylum from Commander Cisco. And because he's running from Cardassians and the first thing he does when he gets on the, on the ship is ask for asylum. And the second thing he does is to question Kira's his street cred, basically. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. He is a cone ma
1: cone ma. This is like, and I guess it's supposed to be like, I mean, I'm sure it's supposed to be like a uh, Hamas. is probably patterned after Hamas, but or the IRA, I, mean, I I like this. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah I, guess the, yeah, I guess the IRA. But, okay, so this whole thing, the only thing that I have that's sort of big picture about me not understanding where this show is so far is that for having these long, intricate plot lines about the inter-Nicene war of ideas happening on Bajor, they don't go into what they're fighting over. Maybe maybe the Ma have a really good point of
3: view, but we, we never expressed that.
2: Well they want Bajorans
3: for Bajorans. But what does that mean? That's like saying you want smaller government. It's like you're not they're not being specific. <laughs> well, they
2: don't want the they don't want they don't want anybody coming in to go through the wormhole. They don't want the federation. That's right. They 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 want to be poor but their own. Which is kind of slime. But I
1: get that, but I like okay, so, so like they hate the provisional government. But, but do they just hate the provisional government because the provisional government's working with the freder- federation?
3: I think so. Yes, I think so. Okay. Yes.
1: Okay. Is there not like a list of like part of me was like well maybe I maybe I should it would be interesting if I as a viewer was sort of persuaded by his Cone Ma view but he's just brought in as a black hat at the beginning of the episode anyway. Yeah. So, yes. you know, there's no there's no like convincing me they're trying to like hmm maybe maybe the Cone Ma, you know, maybe they got a point, maybe
3: they should do that. He's not actually. His point of view isn't, or, or Kira's point of view really isn't. What's what you're supposed to see here? What you're supposed to see is like how Cisco responds to his like first tests of command in a way, in a weird way, right? Yeah, like, I think maybe they're yeah. trying to do both things, kind of, but not very well.
2: Right? They're trying to show that Kira is not like a patsy for the Federation, and they're trying right. to show yeah. that. Cisco is kind of a badass. He's like, yeah, it's an A plus Cisco episode. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Oh really? Oh really? Because I have I a little so. bit of critique. I've, I felt
2: oh, like his uh,
1: energy level. I felt like his energy level at the beginning of the episode was was a little low. I think I even wrote that is Cisco is uh, Cisco was loaded up on Xanax and Ambien. For uh, by the end of the episode, he's great.
2: Yeah, the beginning of the episode, I feel like I don't actually remember him from. <laughs> it's not until he's he. Goes up to Kira and says, "Oh, I know what you did. You do it again, I'll fucking have your head on a platter."
1: Uh, oh yeah, I'll have your
3: head on a platter. That was
1: awesome. Kira
3: doesn't like the fact that he's wishy-washy over the asylum issue, so she takes exception to it and goes over Cisco's head to his boss, interrupts a uh, Starfleet admiral who's in a meeting, and tattlements on Cisco. Right. And then later, the boss calls up Cisco and says, "You have a prop. Get your sh- people's shit together." you know and and he basically the- he basically like calls her out on it, and she has nothing to say in response right isn't that about right?
2: yeah, is this yeah. the first Star Trek admiral that is not like a traitor or the bad guy? Yeah,
3: I think so. I think this is the first one Do that's you know not, the actress that's a completely the, girl. the actress the actress who plays her is leonard nimoy's wife whoa no way so whoa yes bringing out the big guns on the trivia there yeah right
2: there's been a vice admiral that wasn't a bad person but
3: yeah M- but she's only bony checkoff in real life <laughs> Yeah, right
1: but i was actually a little shocked by this because i uh, by that being leonard nimoy's wife because i thought Leonard Nimoy, uh, had a, uh, a BB.PU fetish right? because he has, he has published multiple books.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's pictures. like his shtick of, of like, yeah. Big, beautiful. Yes. Oh, yes. but she really? naked ladies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There are several photography books. If, if that's your thing, there are several photography books put out by, uh, Leonard Nimoy of, of very naked and very suggestive, very large ladies.
2: Wow. I didn't know that. A, Maybe that's just him being like a good guy and being like, "Hey, you know what? Everybody's beautiful." Because I mean, that's that's how he spun yeah, it's it.
1: Like, it was it was Leonard Nimoy promotes a positive body image. Yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> All right, trailblazer.
2: That's how I saw it spun when he died. Anyways,
3: <laughs> so
2: <laughs> it's like his R-Chrome, ladies.
3: <laughs> so, what did you guys think about? What did you guys? Did, how much did Kira get on your nerves this episode, James? Oh, a lot. I think. 10. This was the
1: worst so far. Really? Um, really? Yes. I felt like
2: at the yes. beginning. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No,
1: I think. Okay. So I. I think she's like. I think she's probably like the best actress in a midwestern community theater repertory. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I man. think that. She- <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but like, I think that she. She's got obviously. You know, she's got some skills. She's she's got energy. She she learns lines, I'm sure. You know, but I um, think she's
3: very watchable.
1: Yeah, I I don't. And it's not a physical because I think she's attractive. Because I think she's attractive, so it's not bad. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to come off as like I just don't like her. But I think that when she's here's what it is is that she she acts like someone who is trying to be like. A gruff, no nonsense type A person. I don't think that she's actually being that. And so, in scenes that even where it's not called for, she comes in really like jumpy and abrasive, like a twelve year old bully. <laughs> and uh, the scene where she was good was the scene where she needed to be good was the scene with Odo. Yeah, uh, that's
2: that's what I thought. I, I like I wrote yeah. like at the beginning. I thought she kind of overdid it with like I'm an angry, yeah. pissed off person. But yeah. by the time that Odo scene, she does a pretty good job, I thought. A
3: politician? Me? What? She doesn't bother me in the least, so it's interesting to hear you guys in your complaint. I just had a weird,
2: like, realization that I want to bring up now, which is totally insular, but my sister-in-law loves Star Trek, loves DS9, <laughs> and then I realized... She has the same haircut as Kira. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wanted this, like, oh, wait a minute. She can kind of blow up kind of fast, too. I wonder sh- how, what her relationship to Deep Space Nine is and if she ever thought about yeah, that. And the race. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> but I'll say that maybe we should have her on and have her opinion about that before I make any we should have her on. really gross get me in the doghouse assumptions that will, like, bite me in the ass. <laughs> Because I love my sister, all, she's great. She's great. We all know
1: your <laughs> sister, yes. So, the one thing I would say is that the scene with the Odo, the thing that I wrote down for that is that uh, they have this like term in uh, wrestling where it's called carrying someone over, where like if the the wrestler who's supposed to lose the match is a much more skilled professional wrestler, like he can lose in a way that makes the guy winning look good. Like that was like that was like what Randy uh, Macho Man Randy Savage was known for is he could make you... He could lose making you look great winning. And I felt like that's what Odo was doing in that scene. He was carrying Kira over. <laughs> like, I, I noticed that there was decisions that Renee Avergine was making that was, like, decisions that would get her a better performance out of her. And I really liked it. I thought it was... Uh, I thought that scene worked, and that was the scene that had to work for the episode. So, so no, it was good.
3: One of the... um one of my one of the highlights of this episode for me was the introdu- reintroduction of the Duros sisters, right? The treacherous Klingon sisters from the House of Duros from Star Trek: The Next Generation. You guys, were you guys uh, surprised to see some more Next Generation holdovers pop up so early in the series?
2: I mean, I I knew I'd seen it before, so I knew they came in. I was like, oh yeah, them Klingon chicks. But does it surprise oh, yeah. you? I
3: guess that they're that they're pulling that move out.
2: A little bit, maybe, yeah. Because, yeah, they play... Yeah, they're playing a pretty big role. And you know what? Those actors were probably really excited to come back. <laughs> they're really they're, like, good at
3: what they do. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're great characters. I really like it As far as villains go, the Duras sisters, I thought, were really used well. And they're they're fun to watch. And they come back later on, I believe. Yeah, I know. And, it, this-
2: and it's good, too, because, you know, like they're like, oh, we're played out. We're not coming back to... The next generation, but yeah. holy shit, we get to do this again. Oh, this is fun. But, yeah, they, this, they're
1: great. This
3: was a Quirkless episode, right, guys?
1: It was Quirkless yeah. and Jakeless and, um,
3: yeah. No Jaxia?
1: Jaxia had, like, a line at the beginning, so, and maybe another, you know, it
3: uh, pretty Pretty low, yeah. How irritating was Dr. Bashir in this episode?
1: Yeah, well, I was, I was, yeah, the Dr. Bashir, Dr. Bashir is just Like, I don't know where they're going with this character. I don't know. Is he supposed to be stupid? Is he supposed to be... Wet behind the ears? Wet behind the ears? Or is he supposed to... I mean, I think he's probably supposed to be a little bit arrogant and uh, immature. But I don't know. Like, I, I just get the feeling that, like, he's not... I mean, he's doing a good job of saying his lines and being in the scene and conveying emotion. So, it's not... But he's not doing a good job of, like... Defining who his character is, and I don't think the writers are
2: either. Yeah, I think it's clear that what we know about Basir later on, the writers do not know yet. It's only like yeah, the that third was clearly episode a good later on. Yeah, because he's a fucking idiot here. Like, come on, like,
3: he's it, it, almost unwatchable <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the scenes of Garrick, Garrick is clearly carrying those scenes. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's the one that's. The most watched. Well, yeah,
1: yeah. And I remember... Just,
3: yeah, he's definitely... Yeah, there. Garrick becomes
1: like the... I mean, like... I, we have said this earlier in the podcast. But, I mean, he becomes... I mean, he is sort of a fan favorite of everyone. But, like, I think he's particularly, like... You know, he brings... Okay, okay. So here's... I'm going to bring this into a larger point that I'm working on with the show. Is that I don't think that... We, I think a lot of people talk about the problems that Deep Space Nine has, especially probably in this early season. And they, they talk about it being long and complicated and needlessly complicated. I don't think it's got that. I think it's got kind of just a I think it's kind of sleepy show. I think that it you know, there's a lot of pauses, there's not a lot of action, there's this low hum that proceeds over the entire show. Everybody just has this sort of bland, sort of rat-a-tat nonsense. So I think there's just it's hard to sort of like they never like grab you on a sort of a, a visceral filmmaking level at any point in the show. Uh, early on, early on, and so it's just like I find myself where like you know like if you answer a text while the show's starting while we're, while reviewing the show, it might be five minutes. But oh, I'll go like I haven't been watching this in a while. I gotta like rewind it back. Like, for instance, you have the Dura sisters. Is that their name? Dura sisters. Come onto the promenade and beat up security officers. You could, from a filmmaking perspective, show that. Or only show people talking about it after it happens. They opt for the talking about it.
3: That's a fantastic point.
2: Yeah, that's indicative of what Star Trek does in a lot of ways. Uh They're like, oh, well, we could show this cool action stuff but we're about ideas so we're just going to talk about shit well,
3: exactly
0: this exactly. whole
3: series this this first season we talk about bottle episodes within star trek at large they're like this oh, whole this whole this series? whole this whole series is a bottle <laughs> episode yeah. a bottle right.
1: so they have this i so you have like everybody's talking everybody everybody's talking in this in the start start star trek speak and that's fine you you get used to that in the show but like everybody's talking and there's this low comfortable white noise hum through the whole show and like it's just it's sleepy time and it's time and and i wish like they have these moments but the great thing about garrick is that he's so weird and yes so flamboyant and such an interesting character and then once you get into it the character is a complicated enigma unto himself so it's rewarding it, you know it's it's a great sort of marrying of an interesting character mixed with really interesting acting choices and I, and it really sort of it's such a breath of fresh air for the show and I'm excited that we got to an episode about him
3: yeah well i think i think what you're picking up on is something deliberate a deliberate choice that they've made early on with the whole Western theme. Like, especially when Mm -hmm. you're picking up on, on Avery Brooks's choices of being like dialed down to like a one at the beginning, he's sort of like this sleepy Mm -hmm. town sheriff who, who kind of like (laughs) sighs and has to do no, seriously. Don't you know what I mean? He's like, he's like, it's, he's like a, a pencil pusher. You know, he just, everything is so provincial and sleepy, and it feels very deliberate. You know what I
1: mean? If you were a cast director, or if you were a showrunner or executive producer for a show, when someone said, Sleepy Detective, would you ever say, give me Avery Brooks?
3: Uh, like, I would... T- I don't know. I think <laughs> I like all the choices. Unlike you, you... you- no, no, he's
2: great. Yeah, they gave him Avery Brooks when they said we need a black captain, and like, oh, Avery Brooks is a good actor. Yeah. And we'll give you him.
3: Forrest Whitaker told us no. <laughs> right. This is something that I wanted to bring up, and 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 Wade accidentally kind of hit upon it and, it, and I'm surprised it this is th- We're three episodes in, and we haven't really talked about it, but he is not actually a captain. He's a commander. Commander. No. That's right. Yeah. They, but here's it's a deliberate choice that the showrunners made. They're like. We're going to have an African American in charge, but we're not going to make him a captain. Right. Yes. <laughs> now, why? Why is he not it a captain? It bugs me.
2: Because he's in a ship. Yes. He's not in a ship. He's a.
1: Yeah, but he's, he's in a, a naval organization, is- though. But he's. But he is in a naval organization. There are captains of like bases and stuff in the naval in the naval yeah. system. Uh, I think because they ultimately make him a captain. Right. They ultimately make what? him a captain
2: once they get and the Defiant and they have an actual ship. Spoiler, sorry. Right.
1: Yeah, but isn't Worf the captain of that? Though isn't Worf the captain of the Defiant? In no, he's that the regard? commander of it.
2: Is no, he's like the second. In, he's like the second. I, well, I
3: thought. I, I thought they made. Mate, this is that's possible but we're getting right ahead yeah. of ourselves my point is <laughs> we're getting more fun episodes my point is is that does does it him being a commander serve the narrative because before the wormhole it is a shitty outpost that you have to like mm-hmm. do to like earn your rank like to, to climb the ladder you know what I mean right right and they're like,
2: they're throwing is, it at him because his wife died basically
3: Right. Like your damaged goods. Here's a shitty job that won't be too stressful on you and you know, it it could be good for your career.
1: But why couldn't he be after he found the wormhole and fixed
3: everything? Yeah, like why couldn't they promote him?
2: Yeah. Or why why couldn't he just be a disgraced captain to fill that narrative instead of like Exactly. Why did
3: they have to make him like, Okay, you have to work your way up by hard work and ingenuity, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you might make no they, they should have just made him a captain to begin with.
2: Well, because Star Trek is has a history of being cheap and then tricking people into thinking that a promotion for your character is the equivalent <laughs> of a raise. Maybe that's what okay. it is.
1: Okay, so let me unpack this. So let me unpack this because I think that you're – I don't know if you're – you could be potentially leveling a pretty strong accusation towards the creators of this show.
2: So uh, yeah, they're racist. racist. They're racist. Yeah, no, no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay. So let's unpack this. It's three it's three options. One of which they had an internal show inside the script inside the world of Deep Space the no reason for wanting to do that that he's okay, a driver a or he's uh, outside of the show fan base not wanting to have two captains concurrently in the Star Trek world because you still had Picard out there for two seasons. Did it? W- was there an idea that it would be confusing between those two? Uh, th- and third, <laughs> black captains matter. Like, is it because, <laughs> like, like, uh, because they're not because they're holding it back because of of some sort of like idea that he wasn't because of race racial, ra- racial instances
2: uh, or, or leanings. I mean, I'd like to think better of them because I mean they were at the time. They got all these props for being forward-thinking, which is fucked up. <laughs> exactly. they're like, "Hey, look, we got a black person leading the show," whereas you know it wasn't. They weren't like, "Yeah, but we can't make her a, a captain because we're a racist." Because you know, you know, Star Trek is historically against that kind of stuff. It's just like they're kind of.
1: It's. A, let's be honest. Star Trek's are really. I mean, and this is no defense, like against like racial, um, like microaggressions or whatever, but. Um, they, this is a, these, these creators are liberals, right? I have no doubt. I mean, there might've been a, there might've been a, like a house conservative on the writing staff or
2: something like that, but these, these guys are liberals. But they're, uh, I mean, they're very white liberals too. They're like, you, know, yes, you yes. go back, go back again to Michelle Forbes is the first and and like, yeah, we got this hot lady. Come on. We got to keep her hot. Let's not make oh, they're their Hollywood. makeup too intrusive.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're, they're Hollywood white liberals. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But they're liberals nonetheless. So, I mean,
2: right.
1: I don't think their instinct would be overtly. I mean, you might could. Cons- I-, I think that you have to look either inside the fan base and the cult of Picard and the TNG staff, or you have to look just towards them thinking, well, it would confuse people if he was a captain, but he's on a space station and not a ship. So it'd be easier to make him a commander. He's younger than oh, Picard. Okay. And why. And 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 comparing him to I don't know, maybe they thought that I'm sure I'm sure you live in a bubble where you're getting thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of fan mail and you go to these conventions and people are crazy nuts. And even like an actor like Jonathan Frakes can seem like the biggest actor in the world in these conventions. And you think, well, if we promote him. I mean, I know that it's not within a chain of com- a certain specific chain of command, but if we promote Avery Brooks over Jonathan Frakes, that might make people bristle and just reject the show.
2: Right, and it and it's also it was like the mid to late '90s, which were different in the sense that like. There was a sense back then that everything was a big deal. Like, I mean, you know, MTV had the first gay kiss and people were losing their shit, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, the, and they, they they never even contemplated having gay characters on Star Trek, even with their whole, you know, diversity kind of. Days t-
1: t- t- later on, they do have a, this show does have a lesbian kiss in a few
2: seasons. From- <laughs> yeah, right. But at the time, you know, it was like they were, and then I feel like Star Trek, especially in network shows, were so beholden to like. Oh well, you can't do this yet. We're we're white liberals, and we want to do this, but you can't yet. Yeah,
1: that's a good point too. That the whoever was the head of the syndication of this, those suits, the UPN or CBS or whoever was calling the the suit shots on this, and the advertisers, they're not, they're not liberal. Yeah, Paramount. Paramount
2: had to sell it. Yeah,
1: they're not liberals. So right. Yeah. So I think that that, that, that somebody's racist.
2: Oh yeah, there's definitely some racism in there. I don't think the showrunners are overtly racist. They've got their institutionalized racism. That you know, right. we're we're three straight white guys talking about it.
1: Yeah, Rick Berman later on said that the reason that they ended up promoting Cisco to captain was because they got sick and tired after what's her face uh, after Jane Kate Mulgrew Jane way yeah Jane way Jane way came in after they brought her in as a captain of the Voyager that people were talking about the three great Star Trek captains and that Avery Brooks was never in the mix. So Yeah, that's a shame
2: because everybody agrees he's better than fucking Janeway Right. Yeah. right? <laughs>
1: She's great and are just the new black though.
2: I actually like her too, but you know what? I like I like Cisco more than Janeway.
3: I might like Cisco the most, but I like it's like, you know, whatever captain I'm watching at the moment seems to be my favorite. Right, yeah,
2: because I mean, I fucking love Picard, but then going back and watching uh, Kirk, it's pretty good, too.
3: Like, it's a weird, it's a weird just, thing.
1: Young William Shatner is great.
3: Right. You talk about affected speech. <laughs> you talk about Avery Brooks <laughs> going high. Are you talking, and then, yeah, William Shatner. I got it. I got, a, I
1: got a daughter emergency. I'm sorry about this, guys. Hey, no, no, <laughs> I feel bad. Cool. hey I'm
2: going to go pee again. We
1: could do a,
3: an auditable.com right now. Yeah, this, and, uh, this, this is where our sponsors come in, right? <laughs> Insert sponsor message. Okay, so are, we're talking about, we were talking about Cisco and how great he is in this episode and how basically uh, we think he's been short-sheeted by, uh, by being made a commander. Really popped out in this episode for me because he's being called commander an awful lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's referred oh, yeah. to by uh, AS Commander a lot. Um I don't know. It just really stuck out and really bothered me this time around.
1: It it's bothersome. And I mean I feel like arguably he's got a much more power than any of that because he's actually what he's doing is specifically involved with the politics of the Federation. You know, he's yeah. essentially being an ambassador, you know. Right. And it's so much more complicated than what.
3: wear a lot of hats. Yes, isn't that mm. how you feel? Like he's basically, he's, he's like he's uh, the administrator ambassador. He's uh, he turns out to be a, a religious figure. I mean, we're not rotating, he's basically basically say that in the first episode. Uh, yeah. I'm sure if a toilet gets clogged, he's the one that has to get up in the middle of the night, <laughs> and still punch it on the station. <laughs>
2: Oh, he has to call O'Brien about yeah, it.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's asking, like, like this idea of whether to allow a country to take a political prisoner, which was all, all his deci- – like, was he was he to give him political asylum or was he to return him back to Cardassia? And the decision he made could have shattered the peace treaty between the two countries and and started the whole war over again is essentially what could have happened there. I don't remember Picard ever—I mean, he might have stumbled into a position where he had to make
3: the right call. Uh, we were talking about how uh, how Picard really had it a lot easier than—, than Well, yeah, like, like— Since Deep Space Nine, the station itself is actually the exact opposite of the Enterprise, right? The yeah. station is somewhere that nobody really wants to be, but they have to be and the enterprise anytime somebody needs a swanky escort they call like the the nicest cadillac in starfleet
2: right yeah it's a flagship
3: <laughs> it's a flagship yeah. and and that's the whole thing is that picard's got the best barber he's got the best <laughs> of everything in starfleet it's come in. it coming that's been thrice rejected a, a promotion to captain
2: Right, right, just to stay with him, yeah.
3: Right, and in and, and Cisco, he has a sloppy second engineer who just was really mostly just ran transporters, his previous experience. He's an enlisted guy. He's not even an officer, right? Uh-huh. He's got a recycled yeah. friend who used to be an old man, but now is a younger woman who yes. really isn't given much to do in the show. <laughs> He's got a not kind of yet. a shitty doctor, right? Who, and he's got a first officer who doesn't who doesn't even want him there in the first place, and he's got a ship that's basically been invented by like Cold War. He
2: doesn't uh, even have a ship. He's got a bunch of like shuttles, runabouts that are named after rivers, apparently. Uh.
3: Yeah. So he's just he's just got the worst situation. It's like the opposite. He's just he's just been given the worst situation.
1: Is that what I like about the show the most though? That that's much more interesting to me? Yeah. To watch. Yes, I think like, that's
3: that, what I'm that's unpacking it. here too.
1: Yeah. So like that's what's more fun. I mean, I, not to sneak ahead, but next week's episode this starts with this like whole montage of like O'Brien having to fix all the shitty Cardassian equipment, and like how like that consumes his days. I like that they're like in the old junker of,
3: yeah, of they're in the Gremlin, essentially. You know? <laughs> yes.
1: and that's sort of a it's it's almost like a Star Wars element that's added to it, you know, because it's like. You know how, like, all of those great Star Wars scenes where, like, they're having to, like, ratchet some shit to get out of a problem?
3: Like, they've got to open up the fuse box.
2: The technical without the action of Star Wars. Yeah,
3: exactly. What is how, like, without? everything looks burnt and, like, used in the <laughs> Star <laughs> Star Wars universe? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the ships have, oh, yeah, like, yeah. burn marks on them and stuff. And, and, yeah, there's a dirty, used aspect to it. The, none of the sheen of the previous series are on this show at all. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're no, right. I think that maybe that's what we what we do like about it so far is that it's scrappier and a dirtier little corner of the Star Trek universe that would otherwise just be passed over in like orbit by the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I totally
1: agree.
2: Yeah. So did we finish talking about what happens in this episode yet? Uh,
3: um, I think we pretty much did. I mean, uh it turns out that the terrorist is still a terrorist and, <laughs> he, and he wants to bring and he does and he wants to close the wormhole with a bomb, right? Right, 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 right. And Kira basically uh, also, gets talked out of doing the right thing by Odo, right?
2: Right. And Odo calls yeah. the principal on her, basically. It's like yeah. it's like she wants to talk to you.
3: Yeah,
1: if someone down here in security wants to talk to you. So yeah, no, I and that scene is is great and probably one of the better acted sequences in, in the show so far. Oh, um totally. Yeah. Um one thing I did write in my notes, I'm just going through my notes if anything I ask, is that going back on this subject of I don't think Nana Visitor's a very good actress, uh, in the runabout when she's having to act like she's surprised about being the Cardassians and the uh <laughs> And the Federation triangulating them on the on the handoff with the Latinum or whatever. She's acting like she's surprised and I was and I just wrote Not a Visitor has trouble acting like she's acting. <laughs>
2: so. Maybe maybe Kira is a bad actor and that's good acting. I don't It's though I, w- I this is something this is the first mention in Deep Space Nine anyways of gold pressed Latinum, I believe.
1: Oh, is it? Oh okay.
2: I don't think it was in maybe they do in the first one.
1: I did read a dork a dork note on memory alpha which was like this is the only time that gold press platinum is talked about in units of measure and units of weight instead of numbers of bars.
2: Oh okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay.
1: so they were still sort of working through uh right. how, how it, what it is what gold Plus Latinum is. Also, I two things I would comment on is that it bugs me Half of the episode pinges on bringing two other Cone Ma guys onto the ship. Two guys we never meet. There's a problem. They come on the ship. They bring on the goal. Like, there's all of these scenes about the other two guys. And that's when one scene that could have been great, one thing that they didn't, one area they didn't go is there's a brief scene right before the Odo scene where Avery, Bro- uh, where Cisco already knows that. The people are still working with Cone, are still Cone Ma and are planning something. He's gotten that information from Odo and Bashir. And he at, goes to not a visitor, and, or Kira, and asks, her, Do you, does she trust those two, two other guys? And she goes, absolutely. And at that moment, Cisco totally doubts Kira and thinks that he might right. have essentially a terrorist sympathizer <laughs> with a great amount of power on his ship. And you get to see him, like experience that for a minute, and then the next scene is the Odo scene where she breaks down. I just don't know who I am anymore. And then they call Cisco in, and she, they patch it all up, and she's now the next time you see them together, she's on Team Federation, and she's she's planning with them. But like, why not stretch that out? Why not have that sort of fundamental doubt yeah. about where her allegiances are? Why not make, make, yeah, you know that that's that's what they call drama.
2: And you can they were writing it fast and only had 42 minutes. Sadly, because I thought I actually like this episode. Though you're right, though that 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 is a missed opportunity.
1: No, I do too. I do I too. Do. Yeah, I, I I I mean, nothing in the world is beyond nitpicking. That what would be I kind of array, what
3: you would change, uh, James. Would you say oh. that that? Oh yeah, basically what you would yes. have saved. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go go ahead and take what I would change real quick. Here is. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, I know that the whole episode of Garrick's profession as a tailor is an homage to Tinker Taylor spy.
2: You mean that movie that hadn't come out yet? But the <laughs> the, the guy. <laughs>
3: point, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, it was a book written, it was based off a book that was written like 40 years ago about the Cold War.
2: So, based off a real person. That's that's the ultimate thing, yeah.
3: Right, well, I guess, but they don't have to be so married to that. I don't think a tailor is necessary at all in that universe. Yeah. And that's what I would change. He's sitting he's sitting at his desk when the Dura sisters come in there fucking with a bolt of fabric. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that, that that would happen. If anybody wants any clothes, they go up to a console, they go beep bop boop, and then they print out or you know, whatever they want.
2: That just reinforces that we're not dealing with the Federation. Maybe. Well, that's that's the excuse. The other other thing I noticed with with Garrick, there was I love Andrew Robinson's performance and everything. There's a moment there where he went a little. It sounded to me almost like a little bit a uh, little bit a uh, frozen caveman lawyer. <laughs> it's like, listen, I'm just a simple clothier. I don't know these things. Which, but I say that, with the, the m- utmost respect. There's nothing curious. you know one of my most beloved people in show business ever is Phil Hartman so but Phil
1: Hartman <laughs> okay, so one of the things i got I got a world of issues and i'm gonna i I might stay on this throughout the whole every podcast that it comes up is I don't understand if replicators existed I mean humanity for possibly three million years before the invention of agriculture, was completely with consumed. Our entire existence was to garner food. So they create a machine that just makes food now without expense or money or anything. Why can't it make, well, your point, why can't they make clothes? Because it can make a school bell. Why can't you just have a replicator that makes gold-pressed latinum? If you had a replicator, that's a bigger I mean, if you could have something that could supply food for everyone without a drain on resources. Well,
2: the Federation has replicators. The rest.
1: The Cardassians had replicators too. I thought they were fixing the Cardassian
3: replicators. Oh,
2: you're right. You're
3: right. Do they just have somebody not written the code.
2: They that? <laughs> they do have city replicators. That's that's precedent. <laughs> they they do establish that their replicators suck, right? Right. And,
1: uh, well, okay. So, but like, okay. So, for instance, in the first episode, Quark says that the Bajoran ale sucks. Why? If it's from the, the same rep- replicator that it makes the good. In, I mean, is all f- like.
2: Well, if we're getting the in the world building, I think if the rest of all the universe except for the Federation, the Federations evolved past uh capitalism or whatever, but the Ferengi, for instance, haven't. So. As a as a, a nod to the Prime Directive, you would have to put stipulations into the replicators not to make latinum because that would interfere with the Prime Directive as far as the Ferengi goes. So it's immoral to produce latinum because then you're breaking the Prime Directive.
3: Prime Directive. Okay. Oh, that's that's completely that? more fascinating than anything that we've seen. Yeah. then you could get on the gold standards
1: and uh, like money, money inflation. And, okay, so that may maybe gold, precious platinum is worthy, worth something now. Uh, that it has value in all of these societies, and it's why it's used as currency, is because it can't be replicated.
2: <laughs> well, I haven't been on Memory Alpha. I'm just patting myself on the back for that justification then I just made up. Just you know. <laughs> yes. no, that,
3: that that was that was far That's more interesting. Good. I think is that wh- what would you change in this episode, Wade? Anything, or was that pretty much it? Uh,
2: yeah, I I would throw in that bit about gold, Press, metal, because <laughs> after that last episode yes. I, I liked this one a lot um, yeah,
1: yeah no this was a good episode I mean there wasn't I mean I, the things that I, you know my critiques on it are largely production based like yeah you know, but
3: it, I, or like it seems like the direct- basic storytelling
1: yeah, yeah. it's like
3: if like you're it, in a visual medium and any, any visual medium you're supposed to show not tell and they there's just exactly. a lot of standing like, around and telling right Oh my god, on flat angles up
1: against
2: flat backgrounds?
1: (laughs) That bothers the shit out of
2: me. (laughs) That's just a problem with Star Trek and yeah, they're very, it's very of its time not dynamic.
1: I will say that the the one show that, the shows that started to break out of that were the later Deep Space Nine seasons, where they started to do more sort of advanced sci-fi sort of filmmaking, having not just uh, not just nice soap opera lighting. <laughs> Everybody standing in a semicircle talking against a flat right. background. Um,
2: well, that's kind of that's kind of the genre right. for Star Trek in itself is like based on space Twilight Zone space radio plays where they're just the visuals aren't the the visuals are boring and they're just you know it's kind of kind of yeah. the way that but you're right it is, it is a fault.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, it, I mean, and I get it with lighting, because lighting can really, like, to get, from my understanding of how TV shows go, it, to get better lighting or more, like, cinematic lighting, that takes time. And time is money on filming these things. But to just put the camera somewhere nicer, you know, just to actually right. get more interestingly framed shots, doesn't take that much more time. Um, especially when the set is all evenly lit, like it is right. so that would be one thing I would just like can't you just tilt you know just because it is so it is so flat at this point in the show, and that is uh, the worst the worst Star trek episodes have that too so right, right? yeah, all right, so any other f-
2: was there something you said you changed to or did you already tell us I forget?
3: Yeah, it was a tinker. I was oh, right, like right, right. so
1: married to, to Garrick
3: being a tailor. I love yeah.
2: Garrick as a tailor. You
1: would change the fundamental job because Garrick stays a tailor throughout this entire show.
3: Yeah, oh, he's he's sitting he's sitting around fucking with bolts of uh, fabric for this entire seven years. Right. Yeah.
2: He, that's his whole excuse yeah. for being on the station at all. What would you replace
3: it with? A replicator.
2: But then, how do you? No, well, what would you replace you him with? Like, you have to have Garrick, or else if he's just a talking replicator, that's really that's even worse.
3: I would maybe maybe have him be an a, an accountant or some like offer a service that people need, but not necessarily a product that people you need. you
2: make him. Well, he's like an artisanal guy. Like, oh, we could replicate this, but you want
1: uh, a a. a, what a well, he, have a job that only he could do that wasn't service industry based that that couldn't be done with a replicator. I mean, like, I don't know what that like. <laughs>
3: I have a massage parlor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we already know the holodeck can do that.
3: Yeah. That's true. Uh, uh, with big. It will lick your back. That's right. Um, he could run a Turkish bath. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we've already established that we can't have any gayness in this series yet. It's still the 90s. So
1: Also,. Is Quark, I guess with holodex, I was going to ask, is Quark, I just always assumed that Quark was also a pimp? Yeah. But they just never went into that? Because he runs a, he's a saloon keeper?
2: And he runs his own holodex. But
1: with the, so it's the holodex that he's pimping, and that's more, that's cooler.
2: Yeah, there's the Dabo girls, but they have their own agency, and they deal with them in later episodes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are they, the, the Dabo girls are unionized?
2: Well, that's, I believe that's the whole plot. Oh, That's yeah. spoiler territory. We're
1: gonna get
3: into that. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I remember this whole. Well, plot uh, oh that'll, we'll, that'll remind you later. Yeah,
2: you'll you'll know. I don't want to say anything.
3: No. Okay. All right, oh, yeah, oh, okay. I think we about covered it for this week, don't you guys? I, I do.
1: I I think I think we did pretty good. Yeah. Are we are we are we ready to say goodbye?
2: I right. I believe we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. All right.
1: All right. It, until next week. Th-
2: Thanks for tuning in to the Rules of Acquisition. <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter at Acquisition
3: Pod. No kickers podcasts actually. Send us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast@gmail.com. podcast at gmail.com. You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that
0: Okay. We're back. That was the episode. Uh, that was a lot of fun to listen to. One of my favorite things listening back to this uh, episode was hearing Wade uh, d- describe his sister-in-law uh, in terms of uh, Kira Ke- Nor- Uh That was sort of like a, a high-wire act for me. I was wondering if he, <laughs> what he was going to say, if he was going to get in trouble, then at the end he... He pulled it off and I and, think uh, he got a, a pretty clean exit. Speaking of Major Kira, I forgot how much uh, that character really annoyed, or rather, not the character, but Nana Visitor annoyed James in this episode. He went on and on about how much he was put off by Nana Visitor's performance. And then. To cap it all off, <laughs> he uh, goes on to explain that he is attracted to her. So, you know, it's not a it's not a looks thing. I don't know <laughs> that came off. I understand where he was coming from, <laughs> but for some reason, all these years later, that that seems more uh, entertaining to me. He goes on for several minutes about how he hates the performance, and then. Caps it off with <laughs> how, but once everybody makes sure that he still finds her attractive, then that's not the problem. Um, I was really surprised at my—I forgot about my irritation that they didn't make Cisco a captain right off the bat. And I went after I listened to this episode today to do a little bit of research to see if I could find something from the showrunners uh, get some clarification on why they didn't just make him one off the bat. And I couldn't find anything concrete. Uh, I Googled and Googled and I still couldn't find anything. I think I, I saw a lot of fan stuff on message boards explaining that the character was too young at the time. And he was barely in Starfleet because, you know, he was wanting to quit all this other stuff. Um, sort of going over the same territory we did in this episode about why he started off as a commander. Anyway, that was a little bit disappointing. So if any of you out there know or have heard why the show's creators um, wanted him to be a commander and not a captain, uh, let me know. That would be awesome. Uh, What else? Okay, well, we went into Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy came up because his wife was in this episode. (laughs) And James made him sound like he, uh, had a certain, uh, he had like a certain type. I think R. crumb came up as a comparison. And I I was wondering if that was a fair assessment of his photography work. And you know what? It's a little bit, it's a little bit unfair. He has released or he had released three collections of photography And one of them was The Full Body Project, which was referenced in this episode. And that came out in 2008. But before that, he had um, a photography collection called Shekhina in 2005, which is um, a photography book representing the feminine side of Jewish divinity as visualized via the imagery of women with commentary on Jewish tradition. And scripture. So I mean it's um it that's that's a different nature book (laughs) than what what was talked about in this podcast. And he's got he had one in 2010 called Our Secret Selves, which was about it took some people who imagined that they had like a secret life, like an alternate alternate ego. And explore that in photography. So you had like CEOs dressed up in dinosaur costumes and stuff. It wasn't, it was, uh, it, w- it wasn't pictures of naked ladies, so as, as far as I can tell. Um, so he had kind of a diverse interest in his photography, more than we let on in this episode. Not to mention, if you go back and you just look, uh, I recommend going and looking at his what they call bibliography in his on his Wikipedia page. It's pretty impressive. Um, he put out several volumes of poetry starting from 1973 all the way up to 2002. Three screenplays. Um, well, two of the three are Star Trek screenplays, but they still count. Um, and of course he put out a, several albums in the in the 60s. So, you know, These are great. These are great. If you ever go, you should Google some of these album covers because they're just a lot of fun to look at. Uh, 1967's Leonard Nimoy presents Mr. Spock's music from outer space. 1968's Two Sides of Leonard Nimoy. Uh, 1968 again with The Way I Feel. That must have been a busy year for him. 1969, The Touch of Leonard Nimoy. That's got one of my favorite covers. I looked that up on... um, on eBay looking looking for a copy a couple days ago and the last album of his was The New World of Leonard Nimoy. So, yeah, I mean he's sort of a renaissance man in the you know did a little bit of everything. So I thought we I should give a kind of a broader view of his work outside of Star Trek, not just you know, taking pictures of larger naked ladies like we had discussed in this episode. Uh, speaking of Spock, we are doing a roundtable discussion with our Patreons, patrons, rather, on our Patreon uh, Sunday night. So that will be something that we will put up in the Rules of Acquisition podcast stream. You'll be able to listen to our discussion on Spock. Uh, yeah, so you should check us out on Patreon if you aren't already uh, I think it's just www.patreon.com back splat, backslash kickers of elves. I can barely talk and that's it, thanks again for listening I, uh, I hope you come back next week and listen to another episode of the Rules of Acquisition Remix one to be out
3: we believe in you we know you are better than this